Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And record. Got it. All right. So hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. This is episode 33. And today we're going to be interviewing Chris L. How are you doing, Chris, today? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Jim. Fantastic. So you're from across the pond, right? Yeah, UK, England, right in the centre. All right. And you, I think you said it's about seven o'clock in the evening by you. Yeah, yeah. Seven o'clock right. evening, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Let's uh, let's just dive right in. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Maybe start with, you know, childhood, if you think there's anything you want to talk about. or. Yeah. Um, so relating it, I suppose, to my addictions that were, I was very sort of lonely, uh, socially awkward teenager, I would say. Uh, not so bad as a young kid, I don't think, but as a teenager, very much so. And um, struggled in social situations and then found the miracle that is alcohol sort of as a probably sort of 14 year old something like that I would say bit of a guess I'm 51 now so it's many moons ago but um yeah I mean I suppose the um the main thing would be girls so like having no um courage to speak to girls especially but also all sorts of social situations just really struggled with new people that sort of thing but then I, rem- I can remember it really well to this day. The first time I got really drunk, um, you know, I was probably 15, 16, and that sort of fear going and being able to talk to people that I didn't really know and chat girls up and get it's a funny. date. Huh? I was to say, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned this. I was just talking to someone I just did a podcast with earlier in the week where there's a part in the big book where Bill W. mentions, I think he used the words, I had arrived, or something along those lines, but he specifically mentions that he was awkward and that there was a time where he first had this sip of alcohol, or or at least the first time he felt no longer socially awkward. Mm. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. A lot of similarity there from the story that I read to this. Yeah, the the, the sort of, I mean... And, and I became addicted to alcohol at a very young age. And because of that, I mean, and it makes sense, doesn't it? It's like you feel disconnected. I mean, it's easy to use these words looking back now, but you feel disconnected, but then you are able to connect with people when you've had alcohol. It totally makes sense that you would use that as your crutch, you know. And it wasn't just the fact that it took some of that fear away. I also became quite good at it. So people would be like, oh, here's Chris. He can drink like 15 pints of beer and still stand on one leg and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and it becomes like your identity. It became my identity, really, as, as the drinker, you know. So in school, people, you, that's, that's, you were that guy. Yeah, that was the guy yeah, that for gets- sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. 
and and um, for a long time afterwards, really, yeah. I mean, you know, I spent many, many years drinking. Um, actually, I'm just thinking, I don't know if the units that we use is the same as what you guys use, but uh, I was drinking over 120 units of alcohol a week, which is like, I'm uh, trying to, like we drink we drink pints here. I don't know what what that yeah, is. I think a pint's like the equivalent to a glass of beer here or a bottle. Yeah, it's like a big, big. It's no, it's like two bottles. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, two yeah. two of like your Budweiser bottles or whatever. It's, exactly. Yeah, it's more like two of those, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, like on on weekdays, I would drink eight pints a day minimum, and then on the weekend days, like. Probably twenty pints Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, no, this is after after school, but in okay. school I was already drinking a lot. Yeah, but it was it was like like you say there, that was my. Hey, this is Chris. He's cool. He can drink loads of beer, you know. And, uh, yeah. So so there was like quite a few different aspects to it that were positive. That like, had a positive reinforcement to it, really. This is and true. smoking. I was I, I, the first time my parents caught me smoking. I think I was like ten years old, smoking nicotine, you know, cigarettes. But it was the same with that as well. I sort of got a got in with a crowd of guys who smoked cigarettes, and I became in a gang sort of thing that went and smoked at lunchtime from school and stuff. And again, it was. I mean, I use this word a lot now. It's like connection. It was. It, it was a way I got connection in my life. And, you know, I clung to it for many, many years. I mean, I met my best friend of many years. Um, we were originally just smoked weed together, pot. Yeah. That's all we did. Like, literally, yeah. I would call him and be like, do you have? I'd be like, I, he'd say no. And I'd be like, I don't have any either. All right, we'll just call each other tomorrow to see who has. Yeah, yeah. We, we never hung out sober. But eventually, yeah. we, we did become very good friends. But that's how I met. And I think there's a lot of people that, I met in high school that I would not have been friends with otherwise. Yeah. That was the only yeah. thing we had in common at the time. Yeah, definitely. My, sort of the two best mates I've had through my life have both been very big drinkers as well, you know, and uh, it was just, we could spend all our time together because we've got the same hobby or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, two big guys as well. I was always quite lucky. I never put on much weight from all the drinking because there's so many calories in beer. You know, we're drinking pints and pints of beer, especially at the weekends. But uh, these two guys didn't carry it off as well as I did. But, but yeah, it just, beca- just became kind of my whole life. Get home from work, get changed, straight to the pub. At the time when you were a child, what was your home life like? Um, well, my, my, my father passed away when I was four. Um, and then my mum remarried, my mother remarried, uh, the guy she remarried, he kind of brought me up okay in some ways, but not in others. So, um, I had a decent education that was paid for by them, but he was kind of, there was definitely a, it was, it was kind of obvious that I wasn't his child, if you know what I mean. So I've got yeah. a brother who's nine years younger than, than than myself, who is his son. 
you know, and there was there was definitely some difference in the way we were treated and stuff. But I can imagine. Um, I don't particularly like to blame those things too much, but because I'm not sure they're to blame for the way I always felt kind of isolated and quiet and not com. I don't, not even sure it's confidence, but just not comfortable in those social situations. Um, well, I didn't have the greatest upbringing um, from a father point of view. Um, I'm not sure how much that had to do with it, to be honest. Okay. But it's possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. What about the other point of view, your mother? How is she? Yeah, good. Yeah, we're, we're like good mates really my mum and okay. I I mean she she had a particularly rough upbringing she did um which I think I never appreciated when I was younger so I, maybe I did expect a bit more from her sometimes but then when I started to understand what a terrible upbringing she'd had and that hers was like really rough um you know, that was when that was sort of at the time I started to appreciate that, you know, I'm not the only victim in the world. And, you know, yeah. lots of people have it worse than me and especially my mum. And uh, actually she did. She actually did a fantastic job bringing me up when you sort of see the reality of what she'd been through herself. You know, well, I've been listening to this guy, Gabor Mate. Oh, he yeah, believes, he's fantastic. Yeah. One of the things he believes is it's not a gene addiction or anything like that is you're passing the trauma down to, through generations. So your mother had trauma when she was growing up, which led to her acting a certain way. And maybe while you were in the womb, she was you know, an anxious person and maybe she was uh, having trauma, things like that. So a lot okay. of the babies, the babies feel that. They, they pick up on the nerve. And so while they're actually developing their brain and all their faculties, they're actually getting it with a little bit of trauma from mom or dad built in yeah. there. He's great. He's great. I've been watching a lot of him. He's great. Yeah, he makes it very um, easy to understand as well, yeah. doesn't he, the way he talks. Yeah, I would recommend for people who are struggling and think there may be some, um, you know, things from the past that are causing addiction, I would yeah. recommend just listening to him. Like the first time I listened to him, I think he, he was perhaps on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yeah. In fact, I think he's been on that a couple of times. And I like, listened to 20 minutes of it, went back to the beginning and made lots and lots of notes. Yeah. And, and in fact, I bought one of his courses. Uh, yeah, really good. That's one interesting. thing I always... Go on. No, you go, you go. Yeah, interestingly enough, I've sort of... I think there's a tendency when you go down that route and start to see where some of your personality traits have come and start to blame things. But then people like Gabo Marta are obviously very good at, they know a lot about their stuff, you know. Yeah. They'll start to say, like you just said, that you start to see that your parents have stuff to deal with as well and that's why they're like they are. So you can sort of stop blaming them and but then you're still passing the blame kind of down the line aren't you you yeah. know but i mean maybe this is a good time to say this the moment like my turning point and it was more like turning i don't know the titanic round you know a big ocean liner it wasn't like a point like that but it was you know something started shifting was when um uh it was about 
12 years ago now, I suppose, um, I was out in one of the local bars with, oh no, it's longer ago than that, 15 years, with my now wife, who was just my friend at the time. And there was a few of us out. And I used to get in a lot of fights in pubs when I was drunk and stuff. In fact, there used to be fights and I'd always jump in and, you know, just steam in and get involved (laughs) totally unnecessarily. And um, it happened one night and it was like a Tuesday night, you know, work the next day and fighting drunk in the pub is ridiculous, really, looking back on it. But um, it got quite nasty and it it was somebody I knew well that I, I was friends with, really. And, you know, I walked away from this fight and I said to um, Helen, who's now my wife, I said, this can't go on anymore, you know. I said, he could have got seriously injured by me. I could have got seriously injured by him, you know. Something's got to stop. And she was like, well, yeah, you know, (laughs) you're not saying anything new, but at least you're saying it now. Yeah. How old were um, you when this happened? So this was like 15 years ago, so 36, something like that. Okay. Um, It's the sort of thing where if I asked my wife when did she think it was, she'd go, oh, it was June the 12th, 2004. You know, she'd know the date exactly, but I'm not so sure. But she she just said, look, you you need help, and I can't help you with that. I'll support you. So I, um, you know, we went online and found a psychologist and I went and got some help and it was kind of like um although what I did with him was was really helpful I I had six appointments with him like one hour appointments it was more the taking responsibility now rather than you know being a a helpless victim you know I knew there was a problem I knew that you know I was pretty convinced that alcohol was going to kill me in some sort of way. The amount I was drinking is just phenomenal quantities. And um, I went to see this guy, and I I think it was the sort of taking responsibility and not being a helpless victim anymore that started the turnaround. So at this point, when you first see help, were you still drinking every day? Oh, yeah, big time. Okay, so you were still drinking every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually quit drinking um may the 17th last year so it's like sorry not last year the year before so it's like 19 months now congratulations yeah and i haven't like it was just a stop on the day and no i'll never drink again um sort of thing i i'd never tried to quit drinking before that I've just gradually cut down. I'm still drinking more than the average person for sure. And in the January of that year, so that's 2020, I somebody I knew was stopping drinking for January, just, you know, having a dry January, as we call it. And I said, oh, I'm going to do that as well. And it, it sort of crossed my mind a few times at that stage that I was, I felt ready to stop. No, I didn't feel like drinking was serving me anymore, in a way. And I thought, I'm going to stop. So this this lady said she was stopping for January. So I joined her, basically. I said, oh, I'm going to do that too. And my idea was just to see how it went. And if it was going well, I thought I might stop for good. 
But then I got, um, I was doing a personal trainer course at the time and I got my results on like January the 17th or something and passed. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a couple of beers to celebrate. And that was the end of that. But I wasn't really bothered about it. It wasn't like an official attempt or whatever, you know. But then within a few months, I was like, I don't know. I was just like, I've had enough. I'm just going to quit this. And uh, it was May the 17th. There was some sort of street party went on the day before. Oh, was it the Jubilee? Something to do with the Queen, I think, here. Some sort of Jubilee party. But we're in lockdown. So we couldn't do anything properly. So everyone just went and stood at the end of their property, you know, on the edge of the road sort of thing. And we all raised a glass to each other and sort of chatted across the road. It was a really nice community thing. And I just knew this was going to be the last day that I ever drank. And um, I I had a good few beers that day and that was it. I haven't touched a drop since. And just now I won't. I haven't missed it or anything like that. It's pretty bizarre, really. But... um, I did that with smoking back in 2005 and I used to gamble a lot as well. In fact, I had a quite a nasty gambling addiction, but playing cards, poker. Um, and I packed that in 2017, pretty well the same, just like on the day. I just said, no, that's it. No more of this. That's great. Going back to when you were younger, what were your relationships like? Um, did you have a job? Um, what kind of stuff like that? Yeah, um, job. Yeah, I mean, jobs were always okay. Uh, generally, I worked in sort of finance sort of jobs. Um, did you go to school? Go to college? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I went. I did go to university, but only for one year, and it was more that my parents wanted me to go to what you would call college to get a degree. Um, but I didn't want to go. I just didn't want to be there. I, I hated academia you know studying learning subjects I just hated it I'd always hated it but my parents were desperate to keep me in that because of a strong belief that you get a better job the better qualifications you've got you know Mm. and uh yeah I was desperate to get out of that and I, I was already drinking heavily by then so when I went to university it was um you know the going and living away from home I just was blowing all my money on booze. Drinking all day, really. Just every day was an all-day bender, as we call it here, an all-day drinking session. And, uh, yeah, I came out of that. I I just left that after a year. It was just a waste of time. I was so unhappy. And, um, yeah, then got a couple of jobs that were just like banking-type jobs. Um, but I'd got no ambition or anything like that. I was basically just drinking my life away, you know. And I, I had a quite a long-term relationship going on then. I think it was about six years. And, you know, I just treated that that girl terribly, really. I mean, not, not in a bad way physically or emotionally, but I, all I wanted to do was get to a bar all the time. So, you know, she'd want to go and go to... Um, I don't know, I even just sit and watch TV and I'd be like, no way, let's go to a bar, you know. And <laughs> I don't know how she put up with me for so long, to be honest, because that was all I was interested in was just getting back to that feeling. It was like a nirvana, you know, where everything was shut down. It was the only time I found, like you said earlier, found what I, what I would call home, a sense of calm and what 
what I would probably say now is like mind chatter was shut down and only when I was drunk. So when were you married? Because I know you said your wife put up with a lot of stuff. Yeah, actually, my wife, she... I wouldn't say she put up with a lot of stuff. So my my girlfriend then, when I sort of left school, she, like, I don't know how she put up with me for so long, but my wife was my friend for years and years and years and so supportive. And we've kind of been together, like, over 20 years. And uh, so we've got two kids now, 13 and 10. Um, and we've been together officially, like, 16 years, something like that, but... A little bit on and off before that as well, but uh, yeah, I mean she she's she's always been a like a bastion of strength without pushing, yeah. So yeah. just always there, and that's 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 been massive for me, you know. I always be extremely grateful for that. And it's interesting because you see, like I'm in a couple of Facebook groups where one of them is for seems to be mostly partners of addicts and you just see that how much how hard it is for the partners as well often you know and they're asking questions what should I do what can I do Mm -hmm. and you know what my wife did for me was just a support that was kind of nothing as well so there was no pressure or anything like that you know my wife's never really drunk at all never really drunk alcohol at all you know, she'll have a glass of wine, maybe, but probably won't, you know, if it's on offer. Yeah, well, the um, Dalai Lama said it best that nothing good ever happens by force. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, 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 I couldn't agree more. And she, so, so like massive support, but without really doing anything, like just being there or something. I don't even know what the right words to use are, but, you know, if I could say to, a partner of an addict, what's the best thing you can do? It's like no judgment, no pushing. Just be there, you know, and pick up the pieces if you can. Tough, though. Tough, I would imagine. I've never actually been on that side of the table. So, Yeah, so a lot of us haven't. So what were you like when you were drunk? Were you a happy drunk, a miserable drunk? No, happy, yeah, very happy, yeah. Messing about, bit of a clown, you know. Um, free and easy with my money as well, you know, so uh, <laughs> I'd be buying the beers for everyone else as well a lot of the time. But, yeah, no, I was I was always having fun, which is why it probably stuck so well for me because I always felt as a teenager that I definitely wasn't enjoying life and I wasn't having fun at all, you know, when I wasn't drinking. Yeah, you know, when you look, when I look back, there's just so many things that may make my alcoholism, um, what's the word, obvious, like, you know, almost sensible. So every now and then, I like I help people with things like weight loss and a little bit with addiction, but that's just from meeting people on Facebook and they like want and want help. Yeah, I help people with weight loss quite a bit, and you know, I'm always like. You know, well, you just got to take it as it comes, but it always seems to make sense. Your addiction always seems to make sense. And when you can make sense of it, 
it gives you a chance to start coming out the other side, I think. A little bit like what Gabo Mate talks about. You start to make sense of why you why you are like you are. Yeah, and he says, don't always, <clears throat> don't always look at the bad things that the drugs or alcohol do. Say, what did it do good for you? And a lot yeah. of people will tell you, it relaxed me. It made me more happy. It, it did a lot of good things. Because then you could say, well, why did you need those good things? What was what actually happened? You know, what was the trauma that led to that? Because everything yeah. with him is really based on trauma. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of people I speak to, they're eating emotionally. You know, it's a, it's a craving thing. I was about to ask you, because you mentioned you help people with weight loss. Did you ever have a food addiction? No, I don't think so. I was getting enough calories from my beer. Yeah. <laughs> but... But it, but it, to to me, m- most of the time, it seems to be the just the same sort of thing. It like gives people that little bit of comfort when they're struggling. You know, pe- people, are, it's like the mind chatters going on, and things aren't don't feel good at the moment. And sometimes you can eat a bar of chocolate or whatever, and it's gone straight away. You know, you just feel oh, the rush of whatever dopamine from the sugar or whatever you know it just exactly. makes you feel better for an instant and you can understand why people do i can understand why people do that just feel better for an instant you know and people might even get that out of uh, meditating or something like that but you know i don't yeah. think that would have quite cut the mustard for me you know it wouldn't have quite cut the grain uh, meditating when i found alcohol it completely it, alcohol set me free so i've got no um I've kind of got no negative feeling towards though all those years of almost being a slave to alcohol because I, I sometimes think what would have what would I have done if I hadn't found alcohol? You know, I could have quite easily gone to suicidal thoughts, I think. Well, that's why you look at once again the the good things yeah. that your addiction did. And that's like maybe one of the only positive sides is yeah, yeah. a lot of people from killing themselves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps them uh, in society in a way, you know. It keeps them um, from doing something worse, you know. Another thing I sometimes say to myself would be like, well, alcohol was bad. It's obviously not good for the body and stuff, but what was the next step for me? Was it suicidal thoughts or was it heroin or cocaine or something that would have been more difficult for me to get off maybe or would have caused me more trouble or... I don't know, it cost me more money or anything, you know. I do sort of see some, well, plenty of positives out of it. Uh, I wish it hadn't taken me so long to get off it in the end, but when it came, when the time was right, bang, it's gone now. So So do you see or have you ever looked at maybe what was the underlying condition that you were drinking? You know, like I said, going back to the good things it did for us was keeping us to want to kill ourselves. Why would you want to kill yourself? Just, you know, for me, I have depression. I've got bipolar disorder. So right, yeah. I, I get those ideations. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically put it down now to a lack of connection to other people and almost to reality. It was like... When you, when you feel, what's the word, insular or isolated, separate, 
it, it just doesn't feel good, does it? You know, and communities communities great, but even like you said, having one or two friends that you smoke weed with, you're connecting as well. Mm, this is true. Yeah, I mean, I was never, um, I never really drank on my own. I always wanted to go to the bar and drink. I oh, did I drink on my, yeah, I did drink on my own sometimes. If I was going to be on my own, I would drink rather than not drink and be on my own. Yeah. But I also know that I, I wanted to be with other people. I wanted so it didn't to matter with, if you were alone or with other people, you were drinking. Yeah, yeah, I was always drinking, but I was very rarely alone. So, so you know, I got home from work every night and basically jumped in the shower, threw my jeans on and went to the bar. Now, if the bar, all the bars were closed, I'd have still drank at home. But there was no way I wasn't drinking. The only reason I wasn't drinking at work is because if I got pulled over for drink driving, I'd have lost my job. But I would, I would have drank at work if it was legal. No doubt about that. Yeah. But it was always, you know, always wanted to be with people as well. And I think that's what I craved as a youngster was connection. So you remember? Oh no, keep going. Yeah, I always, I always go back to the fact. I remember I was a very lonely kid, very lonely kid, and um, you know, I sort of felt like everyone else was always having fun together, and and that I was on the outside somehow, and that it, it was just that I didn't know how to join in. It wasn't that I tried to join in, and they bullied me off or anything like that at all it was just I didn't know how to join in so I didn't try to join in I just stayed on the side and then I, I can remember the party I was at it was like it, we weren't old enough to drink alcohol but there was you know some of the kids brought cans of beer and whatever and I, I can remember the party well where I started drinking and I was like found this courage <laughs> this fake courage kind of thing you know yeah and it's you know, I'm convinced that that is just shedding, a shedding of sort of false beliefs and fears about things that aren't even, turn out to be not even real, you know? Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it does. Yeah. It does. Like, I, like, like lack of confidence, which is one way of describing what I had. I sort of say that now. As a, it's usually a false belief. It's like we're not born, nobody's born with a lack of confidence. Like a kid will, like a young kid will get up and try to walk and fall over a thousand times and they don't go, oh, I'm no good at this. I'm, I'm quitting this walking lark. You know, it just doesn't happen, does it? But as you get older and you get the beliefs put into you from school and parents and, I don't know, church or whatever, you start to doubt, have doubts about what you can and can't do. And yeah. before you know it, you've got these confidence issues and anxieties and stuff that little, the, the little kids don't have them, but already I see it in, you know, 10, 15 year olds. Well, I teach martial arts. I've got a small martial arts school and, uh, 
the kids are starting to talk about anxiety and stuff like that quite young now and I think that's kind of a worrying trend yeah I don't know what that's like in the states so in fact I would imagine it's worse in the states oh anxiety among young children it is skyrocketing at the moment Um, so many kids are being put on medication so young yeah Um, yeah I think it's because we have that fast-paced everything now 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 society I, I think it kind of overwhelms the system sometimes yeah and it leads to anxiety. Get this done right now. Get this done right now. Let's move ahead. Everything, go, go, go. Yeah. You know? So that could lead to me personally. I know I get anxiety where I have to, whoa, slow down. Let me take this step by step. You know, that's everything, yeah. whether it's my job, in my personal relationships. Because um, I have anxiety issues due to the bipolar. Because actually, I think yeah. I just have, um, and I, pardon me, an anxiety disorder. Mm. But it's prevalent here in the States as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems to it seems to be like the fastest growing thing. You know, I, I don't know whether whether we would call it a disease, but like a medical issue, it seems to be the fastest growing thing here in the UK. And yeah, I do get the impression that it's even worse, or you're you're it's more advanced in the states it for some reason. Can be. Yeah, and. Uh, like my experience of that, and like I'm talking about my experience of that, like it may, anxiety may be a word I could use for how I was as a teenager and that the alcohol got, so I, I like social situations, I was very anxious about them and wouldn't go into them. Then I found alcohol and I was found this courage and it took away that level of anxiety. So, so alcohol in a, in a way was a cure for my anxiety. Yep. That's exactly what it could be. Yeah. Or at um, least a, a cure at the time. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, have to yeah. be the cure. It, it's what you think is the cure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a med- it's a medication, basically. Yeah. yeah not exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say now. But the, um, you know, seeing these kids now with it. Do you know, I think some of the problem now is that, and this might be a bit, a bit hard for some people to take, but I think we're so obsessed with positivity that people can't handle any negativity hardly at all now. And I think there has to be, like, you hear this word so much, like acceptance and allowing, but I think there has to be this sort of realisation that bad, bad stuff happens it's like uh, uh, if you get a magnet, it's got a positive and a negative end. Yeah. And if you chop it in half, you don't have one positive and one negative. You still have a positive, a negative, a positive, a negative. And it seems to me that life has got positives and negatives. And we seem to have spent the last, it just seems like a lot of my life, like the last 40 years, trying to squash the negative of life and trying to avoid it instead of saying it's there it's definitely there you know there's ways to handle it it's you know um the universe turning up however it turns up or if you use the words god or whatever you know does this sort of expect 
if I don't know if you're religious, Jim, but I, I'm not particularly religious, but people talk about God and they'll say, yeah, well, why is there all these bad things in the world if there's a God? Yeah. And it's like, well, God doesn't, God isn't like a human and thinks good and bad. It just God just presents what it presents. You know, it's us that are judging whether it's good or bad and there's bad things going on. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to not like them and want to do something to change that but they're there and you know you guys in the states you keep data for everything like there's more wars now than there ever was you know yeah. and we've been we've been we've like had a war on war for years there's more drugs than there ever was there's been a war on drugs forever it's yeah. it's, it's not really working no it's never it has never worked none of those things are really working and it's there and i, I think the kids now are just like I don't know, they talk about all this, what is it, wokeism or something, I think. Like yeah. they're try, it's like they're trying to make the world perfect, you know, and shutting down freedom of speech and stuff like that. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to start saying, like getting political about it, but, you know, if people think bad things, then you, shutting them down is fatal, I think. You're just asking them to get more extreme. Yeah. I think the way out of all this is more of an inclusive, altogether appreciation of different viewpoints and what's going on, rather than trying to shut down the negative and all that sort of thing. But hey, I know exactly what you're saying. So when you're trying to talk about taking away the negatives, a perfect example is now a lot of times when you go to like a kid's sports game, yeah, everybody gets a trophy when that yeah. shouldn't be. It should be like first, second, and third. Because to me, what that means is like I have a daughter. If she was to not get a trophy, she'd be upset. And I would say to her, well, this is life. And what you do in life is you work a little bit harder for something you want. So if you yeah. really want that trophy, let's you and me work together on this. And then maybe teach her sports or, you know, get her an instructor or whatever. But it'll teach her hard work. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, there's another way to look at that as well, Jim, I think, is that when... Like my kids, I'm always trying to help them find out what their own values are in life. What it is they love doing? And it's like every human, they've got their own fingerprint. Like all snowflakes are different or whatever, you know. Everything, everyone's unique and they like their own things. And, you know, if your daughter comes eighth out of eight in a running race, then it's like, well, do you actually like running? No. Okay, then we don't really bother with running anymore. It's something you have to do as part of the school curriculum, but we don't really like it. Mm -hmm. And if she says, yeah, I do like running, then it's like, okay, is winning important to you? Oh, no, but I love running. Okay, well, we're going to run every week. You might come last, but if you're enjoying it, let's do it for the enjoyment. Yeah, exactly. And if she says winning is important to me, then it's like, okay, then we need to practice seven days a week. And then maybe you'll win, but maybe you won't. Now, that's the truth of all three scenarios. Yeah. But they don't. They try to make everyone even and say, no, you're all great at running. You all get a trophy. It just doesn't make sense to me, that doesn't, Jim. It's just asking for trouble further down the line. Yeah. It's not real. It's no. not real. And anything that is away from truth or reality just confuses people, I think. And I'm not talking about let's be negative. But I think kids should learn how the world works as young as possible. 
Yeah. We're obviously not going to start talking politics or religion, but they need to know how the world on a basic level works, which is the people who tend to work a little harder might get a little bit more things. There are people who are given their life. I understand that, like the children of millionaires. Mm. But um, a lot of kids need to learn to work hard, that there are yeah. negatives in life. And you try your hard to just avoid those or, you know, get the best, get through them the best you can. Yeah, that's right. That's what, that's that's kind of what I'm saying is it's like they're there and learning to deal with the reality that they're there rather than trying to avoid them. Yeah. So going back to your recovery, mm. what, how, at what age and how did you recover? Did you go to rehab? Did you do it on your own? How did that work? With... With alcohol, it was a day where I said, next week, that party, this street party we had, is going to be the last day I'd drink. And I hadn't really tried beforehand. But I will say this, okay, when I stopped smoking, which was in 2005, so 16 years ago, I read Alan Carr's book, Stop Smoking the Easy Way. Have you heard of that? You must have heard of that. No, I've never heard Oh, of wow. That's like a really And I used to book. be a smoker. I used to yeah, be a American, smoker. he's an American guy, I believe. Okay. Um, it's like the best-selling stop smoking program book there's ever been. And, um, yeah, it's in- interesting. It's, it's a book where it, it, it's to help you quit smoking. And it is basically carry on smoking, read the book, and at the end of the book, see how you feel. So it's almost like there's no pressure. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you the story what happened because it was pretty bizarre. When I went out to a party on Christmas Eve, saw a guy that I used to see twice a year and um, offered him, a, it was when we, we used to be able to smoke in the pubs and bars here, but we can't anymore. But it was when you could smoke in the pubs and bars. Offered him a cigarette. I hadn't seen him. I don't think I'd seen him for a year this, this particular year. Offered him a cigarette and he says, Oh, no, I've packed up. And I was like, No way. Like, we used to smoke together years before. I was, I was like, No way. And he goes, Yeah, yeah. I says, How long? And he go, looked at his watch and he said, Three hours now. <laughs> and I was like, That's crazy. I says, Have one. You know, I said, um, Give up on New Year's Eve like everyone else does because we have the New Year's resolutions thing here. You guys have that as well, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I was like, have a, have a cigarette and give up on New Year's Eve like everyone else does. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. I've given up. And I was like, three hours ago, come on, it's impossible. And, you know, I wasn't a very good friend, I suppose. But, um, yeah. And so he didn't have one. And then, you know, the night carried on. And it, it was just playing on my mind. I was like, how could somebody be so sure that they're not going to have one and he was like, I'll never smoke again, you know, talking like that. I was like, how could somebody actually be like that? It, it didn't make sense to me because I'd been trying to give up smoking for years. I hated smoking. I thought it was disgusting, but I still did it. I tried patches. In fact, like 16 years ago here, it was about when those sorts of things were getting really popular, gum, nicotine gum, patches, the inhaler sticks, you know, all these like substitutes. And... uh yeah, I was really intrigued. So I asked him later on, I said, how did you do it? And he said, I read this book by Alan Carr, Stop Smoking the Easy Way or Give Up Smoking the Easy Way. And I was like, I've got to get this book. So I went out a couple of days after Christmas, bought the book, started reading it. And on January the 4th, so it took me a week to read it, 
the last chapter, it said, if you want a cigarette, have one now. It might be your last one. And I remember I'd got a pack of 20 cigarettes. Uh, actually, that's a lie. It was a pack of 10 cigarettes because I was being tight because I knew there was a chance I might pack up. So I hadn't bought 20. And I started smoking a cigarette as I read the last chapter and I stubbed it out halfway between halfway through it and went and crunched the rest up and threw them in the kitchen bin where my wife was, who was just my friend at the time. And she says, what are you doing? I says, I said, I'm never going to smoke again. And she was like, yeah, okay. And I did. I never smoked again. And it was, it was like, a, it was like a miracle. Now this Alan Carr has actually written the same book, but for alcohol as well. And it's very similar, a very similar setup, but what it, what it, like it's really hard to sum up because there's quite a lot in it but it's kind of a lot of about false beliefs we have around uh, smoking and alcohol like for instance you can't have a good time if you go to a party and not drink it's kind of a thing isn't it that people say so when I say to people I don't drink they're like why would you even do that <laughs> And I'm like, I, uh, so I say to them, what does that mean? They're like, well, how, do, how can you go out and have a good laugh without drinking? And I'm like, that's exactly what I used to think. But actually, I've been out quite a few times since I stopped drinking. I've had the best nights in my life, yeah. especially laughing at the people who are drunk, you know, because they're obviously making fools of themselves most of the time without realising it. Yeah. But, you know, things like that and... Um, just loads of false beliefs. Um, like when you celebrate, let's have a drink to celebrate. It's just something you, we say here. I don't know what you, whether that's something you guys Same think. It, it, I think Winston Churchill said it, that I, if I had a great day, something to this effect, if I have a great day, I'm going to have a drink at the end of the day to celebrate. And if I have a terrible day, I'm going to have a drink to help me get through it. Yeah. So no matter what, he was having yeah. a drink. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it was like, you know, where did those beliefs come from? Is it marketing or, you know, um, probably. Same with cigarettes, you know. You know, here it was encouraged to smoke, like I think it was in the First World War, maybe the Second World War. It was encouraged. It was encu smoking was encouraged to the soldiers in the war, you know. And it's just like, how, where did that come from, you know? Yeah. Smoking makes you... Uh, I used to play, uh, you know, snook, you have snooker there. I think you have like pool and billiards, maybe. Yeah, we have the table games. Yeah, yeah, that's very popular here, and it's always like, oh, yeah, you probably play better if you have a cigarette because you feel more relaxed and calm and stuff like that. It's like okay. it's marketing, really, isn't it? I assume it's some form of marketing that just made us think all these things. So loads of stuff like that in that book, but. Yeah, I'd, I actually really recommend that the smoking one, particularly if you've got any um, listeners, watchers who are uh, trying to give up smoking. Really helpful. Yeah, I'm sure we do have some listeners that are trying to give it up. Yeah, yeah. So it's not as it's not as prevalent as it used to be smoking, is it? It's not here. It's it's slowly going down, but then yeah, it's gone down I, I feel more. like it's getting replaced with the vaping, though. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah. That seems vape, there's quite a negative feeling towards vaping in this country, I think. Yeah, and slowly it's becoming in the states where they're figuring out that it's probably just as bad as cigarettes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, what's life like for you now that you're sober? Awesome, absolutely awesome. Like, 
I mean, a couple of obvious things are when I was drinking, even with the young kids, with our kids and they were young, every weekend I used to make sure that we would go somewhere where I could drink, you know, where I could get booze. Going, we used to go out. We've always gone out for a lot of meals as a family because I like the idea of us, the four of us being sitting at the table together and chatting. Whereas when you're at home, you tend to start talking about kids' homework, you know, what yeah. time what time are you going to have your bath or shower tonight to the kids, you know. But when you go out, I've always liked going out for meals and just the four of us being together. Almost, it's maybe the wrong way of looking at it, but it's almost like we're trapped at the yeah. table together and there's no right, oh, I'm just going off to do this or I just want to check my messages on my phone. We're kind yep. of trapped together. And Less distracted. Always like that. Yeah, yeah, but I, I've all, I always used to make sure that was booked up so I knew where the drink was coming from and stuff like that. So that's gone now. And we still go out for meals, but it's not like, you know, on Monday I'm not already thinking about the next weekend's meals and where the what booze they've got in the restaurant that we're going to and stuff like that. I mean, it was bad. It was bad how it was before. Um, still like going out. That's the that's another interesting thing is how other people react when you tell them that you don't drink. So they like think they assume that you're worried by them drinking. Yes, so they, they always, yeah. So they try to hide yeah. it from you and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember we were at a party last summer. Uh, I think it was when the Football World Cup was on or something like that. And a lady was drinking something, and I looked at it. I thought, "What's?" I said, "What's that?" And she and it was some flavored gin, like an orange flavored gin or something. She says, "Oh, do you want to try it?" And she and then she was like, "Oh no, you don't drink. I'm so so sorry." And it was like as if she was offending me. I was like, "Hey, it's no problem, right?" <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm I'm over that now, which is perhaps hard for some people to understand, you know, because a lot of people who are giving up drinking are what you would call recovering whereas I don't I never I don't call myself recovering I call myself recovered again recovered now because I don't think I will ever drink again in fact I, I'm 100% sure I'll never drink again it's great yeah it's great and I remember that was one of the things one of the last things now that you mentioned it um I know we were talking before the podcast started and you mentioned that you don't say recovering you say yeah. recovered yeah. um tell me a little bit about that because like I said I'm still I don't know how I feel about that because yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to be recovered. Cause to me, recover might mean that maybe one day I could have a drink and be okay with it. I don't know. Like what's your opinion on that? Yeah. It, it's, it, it's interesting because I'm trying to think if I've ever said it to anyone and they've understood what I mean, you know, there's, it's very prevalent. This um, once an addict, always an addict sort of thing. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic thing. Um. I guess because I gave up smoking and never wanted to smoke again, I already know that that's possible. But a lot of it, I guess, is just that I realised that alcohol did serve its purpose for me in the past um, when I didn't know how to get connection, when I had anxiety and stuff like that. And I just don't see alcohol as a solution for those anymore i see them as like we said earlier like maybe a medication but not a solution so i would if you know if i ever went back into feeling anxiety and stuff like that 
I would be looking for a solution, not a medication. Um, I just don't see alcohol anymore. I personally don't see alcohol as a as any help. I don't see it as any use to me ever again, which is why I believe I'll never drink again. Firmly believe that. And that's a great thing to believe. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do feel quite lucky that I see it that way as well. And I can appreciate that other people find that quite hard to comprehend. And that, that seems to be the norm is most people are like, nah, 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 one day, you know, and there's always the, yeah, okay, but what if you do really struggle sometime, then it worked for you before, so you'll probably do it again. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so. Everyone's different. Every, everyone, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I emphasize in my, our group at Anonymous is that everyone has their own recovery. Yeah, so Everyone yeah, has sure. the right to do which they think is best for them and use whatever terminology they want to use for themselves. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, a lot, so much has changed for me as well. You know, I kind of live a, um, I don't like to call it spiritual existence now, but, I've, you know, I used to be so, um, like, separate, had my own identity, um, like an ego identity where it's all me, me, me. And now I kind of really see everything that's going on as just a one thing happening. And I don't kind of identify as a self anymore. It's, yeah, it sounds like a little bit of the Buddhist thought. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It seems very close to um, what I've seen of Buddhism and maybe yeah. Hinduism as well. I'm not... Yes, I'm not, the no self, no self. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a bit unfortunate because you... I would say that's helped me a lot because I'm like so peaceful and calm now. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of people find that a little bit um, strange for somebody who 10 years ago was fighting in pubs and getting in trouble with the police and, you know, all sorts of trouble, really. I just don't, hardly anything phases me now. In fact, <laughs> nothing phases me now. You know, pain still comes, but. Uh, you know, like a toothache could still come, but there's no, oh, woe is me. You know, why did I get ha have to get toothache today? I just sort of see it as toothaches come today. Uh, maybe I'll take a painkiller, go and see the dentist. There's no sort of mental noise with it, you know, no um, personalisation of it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's helped me a lot. So complete, in fact, I mean, just a massive change in how I see um, existence or the world or the universe, whatever, whatever. I mean, sort of trying to use words to describe it is uh, pretty tough, really. But, but yeah. Well, I think this has been a great interview. I just want to thank you for everything you opened up about, and I think it's been going great. So, um, thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Nice to right. chat with you, Jim. Yeah, and for everybody listening, go click on subscribe below. Give us a like. You can also check us out, the podcast on iTunes. We are also on Spotify. Um, also check out the Facebook group or Facebook page. We're on Twitter and Instagram. So we're all over the place. Check it out. And until next time.